Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. Hey, good morning to our uh, live streamers. We hope you're also doing well today. Hope the pancakes are good. We're not jealous, just a little bit. But uh, hey, um, we are, this is week four of our study. We're going through the New Testament book of 1 Thessalonians. You can see there the title is uh, In the Meantime. And the Apostle Paul, a prominent New Testament character, has written a letter uh, to a young church um, that he planted in the city of Thessalonica, and uh, they are experiencing significant opposition, significant persecution, and uh, really because of their decision to say yes to following Jesus, because they have gone public to say that we believe that Jesus alone is Lord. Jesus alone is worthy uh, of our worship. And so for the first three chapters of this letter, Paul's been addressing the, the suffering that comes from that opposition, and he's been Uh, really encouraging them to stay strong in Christ, which is a great reminder. Like, so as to say, hey, we are never alone because we are in Christ as his his people. And and so just there's this encouragement, like, hey, uh, draw, learn to draw from him the strength you need in this, this, you know, this hard time uh, to stay strong in your faith. And as we get to chapter four, which we'll be looking at uh, part of it today, there's a real clear shift in Paul's writing. And in many ways, he goes from being it's, you know, uh, comforting, encouraging. He sort of shifts into more teaching, uh, challenging. And uh, before he shifts gears into chapter four, Paul writes out a prayer that he's praying for the Thessalonians. And it really sets up today's talk. Here's what it says, chapter three, verse 12. Paul prays this, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. And let's leave, let's leave that up. So I've, you, uh, you can see there I've underlined a couple parts of this prayer and I've underlined them because they really do address and point out a real I think, super encouraging uh, truth of the Christian faith. And that basically is this. When we look at that passage, like, may the Lord make your love increase. May he strengthen your hearts. What Paul is teaching them and reminding us is that, hey, it's God's job to change you. I don't know about you, but isn't that encouraging? Right? It's God's job. It is God's responsibility to finish the work that he started in you. Like that's Philippians 1.6. I find that super encouraging. Our job our responsibility and all that really is to be as responsive as we can be, as aware as we can be, uh, as, as, uh, uh, as, as obedient as we can be to the work that he's doing in our lives. As we get into chapter four today, Paul uh, really, he refers to this over and over, but one of the ways he points back to this principle is in verse three, he says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. And that's a word, I mean, if you grew up around the church, sanctified is a word you've heard a lot, but it's not, I don't, I mean, did you use the word sanctify this week? I, I kind of doubt it. Uh, sanctify, what does that mean? It means this. Sanctified means it's God's will to make you holy. It's God's will to set you apart as sacred. It's God's will to consecrate you. And again, that might be helpful and, and, or, or maybe that is still a little confusing. So let me, let me say this to clarify it even more. The series we did before this one, uh, what was it called? Discovering 
God's story, if you remember that series. What we learned in that series was that after relationship with God, remember vertically, and after relationship with one another horizontally, the primary reason that God made humans was that we would be image bearers of God, reflectors of God to the world. Of all of God's creation, as amazing as it is, humans are the only ones, are the only part of his creation that were made in God's image. So it's no surprise then that that's what the enemy went after. And if you remember the story, sin poisoned all of that. And so throughout history, uh, humans have been reflectors and we have reflected God at times. But mostly, if you look at history, mostly we've done a lot of reflecting ourselves and really a lot of, a lot of evil. So we need to be sanctified. We need to be made holy, rescued, restored to God's initial plan for us as image bearers. And thankfully, that is God's will to do that. And one of the ways that God does that, one of the ways that God sanctifies us, that, uh, that he rescues and restores us is, is through the teaching, learning, and application of his word. See, one of the consequences of sin poisoning God's plan is that as humans, like we've forgotten who God is. Like we're just not, we're not clear. Like we, it was clear at one point, but it's not anymore because of sin. It's been, our, our system has been corrupted. And so we've forgotten who he is. We've forgotten really who we are and who, who God has, you know, has meant us to be, etc. And so one of the reasons why we gather on the weekend, uh, one of the reasons why we're always encouraging people to check out a small group and, and, and uh, you know, to join with others on, during the week. <clears throat> One of the reasons why we're always encouraging you, hey, to be reading your Bible, to be talking with God, prayer, to be spending time with God. The, the reason, uh, one of the main reasons we do that is because all those things create an opportunity for us to learn, to learn more about God and learn more about his ways and plan, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, as a preacher, uh, a speaker, like our job is not, we're not entertainers. Like, uh, I mean, of course we don't want to be boring. And now let's move to the next point. Like we don't want to be boring, but, uh, <laughs> but our primary job, it's not to entertain you. In fact, I, you know, I, 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 this really hit me this week as I was studying that, you know, one day I'm going to stand before God and be held accountable as a, as a declarer of his word. And understand that our, we take this very serious. Our primary goal, our primary job as preachers is we're gonna do our best to open God's word and teach you. Teach you what, the, what you know, God's ways, what he's revealed to us in his, in his word with the hope that as we do that, that the Holy Spirit is gonna be working in you and he's gonna be changing you. He's gonna be sanctifying you. He's gonna be you know, doing this work in your life and all of our lives that we would more and more reflect God in a much clearer uh, way as we go about our lives now in 2022. And that's, that's really was Paul's hope as he moved into chapter four. He's getting quite practical, uh, teaching the believers then and us now how to be a sanctified people, how to be image bearers of God in a, uh, in a very corrupt world. So let's pray, and then we're gonna jump into chapter four. <clears throat> so Lord, uh, thank you for what a beautiful uh, sunrise this morning. Um, I, I, I just think of that scripture, the heavens declare, the heavens declare your glory. Lord, I, I, I pray that the, the beauty of the sunrise would encourage us today that we're in the presence right now of the one who can do anything. 
of the one who is the creator of creators. Lord, the, the redeemer of redeemers. Would there be just such a strong sense of your love and power to sanctify, to rescue today? So we welcome you here. Come do, uh, come do what you want to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, <clears throat> so uh, we're, we're really looking at the first half of chapter four, verses one to 12. I'm gonna start by reading the first two verses just to set up our first point. Here we go, verse one. <clears throat> As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God as in fact you were living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. We'll stop there. Chapter starts with the language, like I said earlier, that Paul is, he's putting in the clutch. He's a Jake break, but he's, Paul's shifting gears now in, in chapter four, that's that language. As for other matters, obviously they, they had asked some questions or something came up. Uh, and I've underlined, if you look at that, uh, what's on the screens, I've underlined repeated words and thoughts that again, help us understand what, what is Paul getting at in this section? And in, the, in verses one through 12, Eight times Paul uses, uh, uses the phrases either instructed you, ask you, urge you, uh, or taught you. Eight times in this text. And so it's pretty obvious what, that Paul is, is communicating to us, just the need to learn. So my first point, simple point, a short point is as Christians, we have much to learn. We have much to learn. I don't know if you've ever thought about that or, um, uh, but here, here's something that I, in prepping this week, I've, it sort of struck me. I thought, isn't it interesting with all the claims of the Christian faith, all the claims of, you know, what the Bible teaches that, you know, if, as a, when a human being turns toward God and says, I have a lot of questions, but I do believe in you and I want to follow you, right? The, what the Bible teaches is that as you say yes to Jesus, as you enter into a relationship with Jesus, that God comes and takes up residence in you by his Holy Spirit, which is a mystery to me. But that means that God comes to now live in you. Like the one who created the sunrise this morning. The, you know, God who can do anything. God who, who, like I said earlier, is committed to finishing the work that he has started in you. And yet, and here's, here's something that I find very interesting. And yet, when that happens, he doesn't just, as he enters your life, he doesn't just sort of reach over and hit the easy button so that now you suddenly understand everything. Like, like, in fact, it's, it sort of is the opposite, which, which is kind of like, well, that's, a, that's, a, that's hard to understand. Really, in this life, it's more a life of God patiently taking us by the hand and walking us through stuff as he's you know, teaching us more and more about who he is and, and who we are, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, uh, and it's kind of like this. As Christians, we never get to this place in our Christian walk. Like, I get it now. I get it now. You can let go. I can do this myself. That was a bicycle, by the way. People probably thought, did he, was he in Cirque du Soleil? Did you see that movement? See that flexibility? <laughs> but, but think about that. Like, uh, you, you never get to the place where you, you know it all. In fact, I think if you're going to follow Jesus in this life, you need to carry a, you need to nurture a humble heart that recognize I don't understand this, all this. And I do, I really do need to learn. Listen to this quote. It's not Tim Keller. Sorry about that. 
Tim was busy this week uh, cashing his royalty checks from all the... Uh, <laughs> okay, no, that's not true. Oh, no, we're being... Okay, here's a, here's a quote. The greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who, by profession or culture, are identified as Christians will become disciples. What does that mean? Students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of God into every corner of human existence. Does that, hope, does that make sense? That, 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 is such, that is such a great quote. And, and that made me think of this. I often, I often wonder or think for many of us, we look at our Christian faith more like, like, more like an app on our, on our phones. We look at our Christian faith like, hey, you know what? I'm having a hard week. I better open up my Christian app and, get, you know, and, and to get some help, right? Like, like the Bible teaches, no, 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 that's, no, no, it's, it's, much, it's much more than that. In fact, what the Bible teaches is uh, uh, you get a whole new operating system. Like it's a whole new download from God. And it's, and it's one that, like I said, it's, it's going to take the rest of our lives. And many would say even into eternity through the work of the Holy Spirit of us, learning how to be the people of God, learning how to live our lives according to this new operating system that that is God has put in us. There's much that we have to learn in this life. And a big part of this new operating system is, is it's, I think it's way more practical than, than we would, than we, you know, than we would normally uh, uh, say. Or, or, and what I mean is it's not just a new way of thinking. It's not just a new way of processing thoughts. It really is a new way of living life. And what I mean is it's a new, it's a new type of behavior that God has invited us into. And so, you know, I, my first point is a quick one, but I want to I wanna end off with a question before we go to the next point in this, in this theme of as Christians, we have much to learn. Let me ask you this question. Um, are you a teachable person? And as I look around the room, I go, maybe, and don't do it now because I don't want any arguments, but maybe the person that knows you best should answer that question. Hey, honey, am I a teachable person? Like, like, or, or are you someone who would fall in the stubborn category or the proud category or the cynical category? category or ah, I've been there, done that. You know, I've been around the block. I I, I think more than know-it-all category. I remember as a kid, there was a bumper sticker um, that said this, God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Do you remember that bumper sticker? Okay, good. Yeah. I don't have one now, but, but that's a, but you know, when I look at that, I go, I think I get what that means. But in the context of what I'm saying today, uh, you know, uh, the question, are you a teachable person? I think an attitude like that, that quote there, that bumper sticker can either strengthen your faith if you are teachable, or I think it, that attitude could make you stuck in your faith if you're not teachable. And so, uh, again, are you a teachable person? And that's super important because, like I said, there is much that we have to learn in this life. And Paul's going to start getting more practical now. So uh, uh, point two is this. Uh, We are always image bearers. We are always image bearers. And I've been saying this already. The plan of God is to make humans that we would be reflectors of God, image, uh, image bearers of God. And the thing about being an image bearer is that it's not something that you can turn on or, or turn off, 
right? You're, you are, you're always an image bearer. And that, you know, again, a picture that came to my mind, taxis aren't, we don't see taxis as much as we used to, but uh, uh, you know, on a taxi, on the, on the, on the roof of the taxi, if, if they're in business, the light's on, right? But if they're taking a break, they turn that light off, right? If you remember that. Well, we are fooling ourselves if we think our faith or this whole thing of being an image bearer works, works that way. We're always image bearers of someone or, or of something. It's, 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 and again, it's God's plan that he, would, that he would shine through us. So let me read the next section. Uh, verse three says this. <clears throat> it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. He's called us to be reflectors of him. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God. The very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. And again, I quoted this a little earlier, but the plan of God, it's God's will for you that you would be sanctified, made holy, etc. And And when I look at this section, it, what jumps out at me is Paul is teaching them and us, he's teaching hey, understand that in this life, it's not just God's plan to rescue you, but it's, it's his plan to rescue you, but also it's, it's, it's how to now teach you how to live your life in a way that is, is pleasing to him and, and really is safe for you. And, and when I think about that, the, again, a, a picture that comes to my mind is just imagine you know, a swimming pool, a public swimming pool, there's the lifeguard, people are swimming. Like, wouldn't this just be, this would make no sense. Picture there's a, there's a guy in the swimming pool and he's floundering and he's drowning and he's, you know, he's struggling in the water and the lifeguard jumps in, rescues him, pulls him out of the water. Like, wouldn't it, this would just be very bizarre if the lifeguard said, whoa, that was pretty close. And the, and the person's like, oh, whew, I'll say, I'll say. Hey, have you got your breath back? Yeah, yeah, I think I do. Well, back in you go. Like, he'd be like, that's, that, that makes no sense because obviously that person is just going to start floundering again and, you know, need to be rescued again. And why is that? Well, because obviously that person doesn't know how to swim. And, and to me, just to drive this point home, because of sin poisoning humanity, one of the consequences is that we've forgotten how to swim We've forgotten how to swim in the, in, the, in the pool of life and we need to be taught. We need to learn. We need to be taught how to swim in the way God intended. And, and that really plays into this whole thing of being image bearers. And when I look at what uh, Paul says in chapter four, it's interesting to me that Paul, Paul doesn't sort of ease into issues. Like he just, he seems to go, hey, God, it's God's will that you'd be sanctified. Wham! And he just goes right, of all the things you could talk about, Paul, he goes right to sex. He addresses sex. And one of the commentaries said, uh, this shows that human nature really hasn't changed from first century to 21st century. This, this incredible gift that God has given to humanity, this incredible gift of sex, like in our brokenness, against the, again, the consequences of sin in our lives, in our brokenness, this incredible gift 
has it not caused so much temptation and so much, uh, so much heartbreak and so much shame, so much disease, so much, uh, so much pain in our culture? I, you know, when I think about our culture today, 2022, I would say that it seems like sex just permeates every, almost every aspect of our culture. You know, it's like, it's like, it's, it's all we talk about, all we think about. It permeates most of our entertainment. It, it is a mega industry, whether we're talking about pornography, television, movies, fashion, uh, social media. And I think, you know, I think of, our, of our, our kids, our middle schoolers and high schoolers. You know, uh, when I was a young warthog, when I was, uh, I'm glad you laughed. When I was, when I was younger, if someone wanted to find, I'll just be blunt. If someone wanted to find pornography when I was young, they had to go looking for it. They had to, you know, they had to work hard to find it. I would say now today, I'd say it comes looking for you. Is that not true? I mean, in our culture, it, 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 per, it just pops up everywhere in our culture. And, and it's very much what, you know, what we're challenged by. And as crazy as our culture is now, for the young believers in Thessalonica, they too had unique challenges in this area. Paul was writing to young Christians who were, you know, who were not too far away, not too long ago. They were very much involved in the, in the very common practices of their culture. And here's, here's what I mean. Imagine, imagine this building, VCDC, this building. If, if VCDC was a, a pagan temple, Right, a pagan temple in the city of Thessalonica in the first century. And there would have been many pagan temples. But if we were, part of this building would have been a brothel. Right? And so, and, and in this temp, pagan temple, part of our quote unquote worship, part of our quote unquote offerings to our idols would have consisted of some level of sexual activity. Right? Uh, along with that, in this first century male-dominated culture, it was normal for a man, if he could afford it, to not only have a wife, to have children with, to you know, have someone to look after the house, uh, but also to have, it was normal to have a mistress or two uh, on the side for, for other activities. All of that was the cultural norm for these young Christians. And into that culture, Paul writes this, you know, hey, as followers of Jesus, let me instruct you. Let me teach you. What does he say? He says, you need to avoid sexual immorality. You need to avoid it. And where uh, English uses two words, sexual immorality, the original Greek is just one word and it's the word porneia, which basically it, it means fornication. It's a more general uh, word about sexuality. And so Paul is saying to them, and, he, and he's saying to us, hey, Followers of Jesus, let me instruct you, you need to avoid all kinds of sexual immorality. Meaning you need to avoid all kinds of sexual activity outside of the husband-wife, male-female covenant, covenant of marriage, regardless of the cultural norm, regardless of what the culture says is okay regardless of what our own brokenness will deceive us with by saying, well, you know what? Actually, it's, as long as you don't go this far, it's okay, right? The, the command of God is to avoid sexuality. Why? Why would God say that? It's such a great gift. Why would he say that? Well, because the Bible teaches that sexual sin goes deeper, 
goes deeper than other sins, both physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Uh, If we don't learn how to control our lusts, our desires, uh, our bodies, sexual sin, does it not damage you? Right? It damages others. And it damages our ability to be image bearers of God. In another letter, Paul said this. He doesn't just say avoid sexual morality. Listen to what he says. 1 Corinthians 6. Flee, run away, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, in whom you have received from God? We're image bearers. You are not your own. You were bought at a price, the cross. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Again, the plan of God has always been that his people would be examples to the rest of the world on how to live this life in a way that is pleasing to God and, 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 is, and is healthy for us. And it's sort of like that image of the, of the swimming pool. The plan of God is that people who are floundering in the pool of life would see you go swimming by. And they'd look at you and go, I, I didn't know that was possible. I didn't know we could actually not only survive, but thrive in the pool of life. It's God's plan that they would look at you and, and they would want what you have. And, and let me say this. I, um, you know, here's the thing I recognize talking about uh, it, sexual struggles, sexual sins, sexual addictions, is that I don't, I don't know who I'm talking to right now in the room or online, because typically when we talk about sexual struggles, um, they are typically hidden. It's something, it's, there's so much shame attached with it. But I, if, if, so if I'm, whoever I'm talking to right now, I just want to say that it's God's will that you should be sanctified. It's God's will. God is not, he has not come to condemn you. He's come to rescue you. The good shepherd doesn't see a lamb caught up in a bush and just go whack, you stupid lamb. That's not the good shepherd. That's the enemy who comes and whacks you and says, what a stupid lamb you are. Are you ever going to learn? But the heart of the good shepherd is to, is to, is really is to clear away those thorns that you're caught up in and to lift that little lamb up and say, I got you. Let's just walk with me. Stay close to me. And let's, can we, will you let me start working in you? Will you let me sanctify you? Will you let me do the work that only, that only I can do? And, you know, and, 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 you know, and really this invitation of God, it's like he's saying to all of us, like, what would it look like? How would it impact your, your behavior if you saw yourself more and more as an image bearer of God in every aspect of your life, including your, your sexuality? Like, I, I think of this whole thing of being image bearers. Like, this verse suddenly has a, has a new meaning. Husbands, love your wives, how? As Christ. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Husbands, husbands, be a reflection of Jesus to your wife. Wow. Well, that's easy. No, no, I need help. Change me, right? Or, or from the passage I read, no one in this whole area of sexuality, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister? What does that look like? Like, what does it look like for, a, for young men, young women? What does it look like 
for older men, older women, like everyone in between. What does that look like for us to, to honor and respect one another with our bodies, with our words, with our thoughts, with our actions, with social media, etc. Again, God wants to sanctify you. Like it, he wants to set his people apart. He wants to hold us up in a, in a, in a very corrupt world, a very fast changing world. He wants to hold you and I up and say, hey, world, hey, everybody, look at the difference Jesus makes in a person's life. Like Paul, <clears throat> really, he, there we go. He refers to this in verse four, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Why? Whoops, actually not why. Let me just keep reading. Not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. What's he saying there? So as to say for those who claim to know God, it should make a difference in your life. Right? And, and God's like, that's right. And, and, and it's my job. It's my job. I am committed to. I am responsible to make that difference in your life. Your job is, are you teachable? Your job is, will you let me, you know, will you say yes to the work I'm, I'm doing in your life or trying to do in your life? Let me, let, me finish, let me finish the text. Verse nine says this, and it's another gear shift. Now, about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Again, Paul continues in this teacher challenger. He's getting uh, practical. He's talking about how we treat each other, our love for one another. He's talking about uh, uh, our public lives, our private lives, our work lives. And again, all to this, he's really driving home this image bearer point. In verse 12, he says, so that, so that, this is really important because your daily life, you know, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. Like that, that's what's at stake in all this. And I, when I look at that verse, verse 12, what I just said, I think this is really, really encouraging and cool. Because what Paul is saying is this puts uh, amazing value on the mundane, everyday, here we go again, stuff of life. Like the, you know, going to work, family, friends, school, just all the stuff of life. Because what this verse is saying is, hey, hey, Christian, it is my plan, says God. My plan is to shine through you, not just when you're on a stage, but my plan is to shine through you as you go through all the, all the mundane, regular stuff of this life. And so my final point is this. Number three, the quiet life that roars. The quiet life that roars. Uh, what, you know, in verse 12, it says that we're to win the respect of outsiders. And when it says outsiders, we're just talking about people who don't yet know, who don't yet know Jesus. And again, the original Greek for that phrase, win the respect, the original Greek, and I'm not going to try to say it. You can see it there. Parapatio. But, but look at what it means. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a lot of study coming through there. But, but the important point is, look what it means. To walk becomingly. Huh. Okay, so win the respect means to walk becomingly. Paul is saying, hey, hey, hey it's, not just, it's not just important what you believe. 
It's not just important what you say, it's important your behavior is, is really important. Like the way we treat each other, our private lives, our public lives, our work lives. It's important that we walk in all those places that we walk becomingly. It's, it's important as Christians that our, our actions increasingly line up with our words. And so let me ask a question. Are you, are you the same person at work as you are here? Are you the same person at home as you are here? Are you the same person with your friends or, you know, or when you're alone as you are, as you are here? See, this is, this is really important. And again, this is not a, don't, if you're feeling condemned when I ask those questions, that's not God. That's the enemy going, kicking the sheep. God doesn't do that. This is, if you're feeling, if you're aware that, ooh, boy, that hits home for me, that's God saying, that's a, 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 a light on your dashboard of your life saying, that's God saying, hey, well, let's, let's talk about that then. Will you let me work on that area of your life? Can we talk about that? Can we start working? Can we start working on that? This is so important because for many people, you may be the only Christian that they see next week. You may be the only person at work that, the only Christian at work that this person sees. And again, the plan of God is, the plan of God is to hold you up as one of his kids at work, at school, wherever you go, because he wants other people to see the difference that he makes in your life so that they would be drawn to him. And, 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 and people are watching us. As I was prepping this week, I had a, a memory come back. I thought, oh, wow, that's a, like years ago, uh, uh, I used to work at a company back in Canada. And in our department, we used, uh, we had company cars that we used for work. And almost every year we would get a couple of brand new cars to replace older ones in the fleet. Remember Chrysler K cars? Yeah, we're living the dream. We were living the dream. Um, but it was mostly based on seniority as to who would get a new car. And I, um, I really like cars. I'm totally a car guy. I think cars are so amazing. That's why I drive a Scion. And, uh, <clears throat> and I was pretty sure, uh, I was pretty sure at this time that I was next in line or, uh, you know, to get one of these new cars. But then it didn't happen. And something went off in me. And, uh, and I went to my, I, I don't remember everything clearly, but I remember going to my manager and just raising a stink, a bit of a stink, you know, in Canada. Hey, I'm real sorry, eh? but, uh, you know, I was raising my voice, but, and I was, and, but, but I was also unhappy with the people who did get them because I didn't think they deserved them. And, and so I remember, you know, in passive ways, <laughs> letting them know, uh, my disagreement. And there was a guy at work, a guy, his name, uh, very cool name, his name's uh, Jimmy Ireland, James Ireland, and wonderful guy. And I, you know, we'd worked together for years. I'd shared my faith with him. Uh, I'd, we'd had talks about Jesus. I told him about Jesus and I'd prayed for him. And, uh, and I didn't know it, but old Jimmy watched my rants. He was watching me. And, uh, and again, I don't remember all the details, but I do remember walking out of work one day, probably the next day, and standing on the steps, and James came up to me and basically confronted me. And, and again, I don't remember the exact words, but he said something like, hey, what I have been observing you doing, he said, you know what? I gotta be honest, that, that, that doesn't look like this Jesus 
that you've been telling about. That doesn't look like something that he would say or he would do. And I remember, you know, as I walked away uh, thinking, hey, when they invent Facebook, I'm going to unfriend James Ireland. <clears throat> no, I didn't. That's time machine stuff. But I did walk away. I did walk away. And you know what I thought? I thought, I don't think I'd ever considered that I was being watched. And that really hit home for me that I was being, uh, that I was being watched. And, and again, that, that's the plan of God. Listen to this quote. Outsiders, people who don't yet know Jesus, looking at a new movement that made striking claims about Jesus as Lord of the world, would be interested to see what effect it had on the behavior of the members. Financial behavior, like sexual behavior, is one telling indicator of the health and integrity of a movement. Hopefully that, that really hits home into this whole thing of our words and our actions and all this stuff, our behavior lining up. Why don't, why don't we have the worship team come on back? I want to end with this. My third point is the quiet life that roars. And, and again, this is so encouraging that there is what Paul is teaching in this, and you see this throughout the Bible, that there is great kingdom power, meaning God shines brightly through anyone, through any person who is daily inviting God into every corner of his or her life. I'm not saying that we're getting it all right because it's a process. We're going to be learning and working on this for our entire lives, but there's great power. It, you know, it's a quiet life that roars when a human being is, is saying, no, I'm not going to, in the house of my life, you have access to every room, God. Right? There's great power in just handing over the keys and saying, you know, whether it's your sex life, your private life, your public life, your work life, your whatever life, just all the stuff of life. Why don't we, why don't we stand up? We're going to go back into worship. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that what you heard has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and to contact us, go to vcdc.org. We'll bless you. Have a wonderful week.